0: Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. It's good to hear you all again. It's good to see you. I'm back. I've missed you all. I've been away from BCWC for the past six weeks as we've welcomed a new baby to our family, our daughter, Lilia. uh, Her older brothers, if you're wondering, are over the moon excited about this, and we'll just hope that that lasts. They even, I've told a few of you this story already. My wife, Melissa, came down. uh, She had fed the baby. She was upstairs. She was just getting a drink, going right back up. The baby was asleep in the bassinet, but the boys are awake. They said, Mom, Where's the baby? And then the other, Elijah younger, is two. He said, I'm going to go get her. He starts stomping up. So they, she has two adoring brothers, and we have two members of the peanut gallery evaluating us. So um, Melissa and Lily are happy, healthy, and at least one of them is very, very tired. But I'm with you today feeling gratitude for that time away to adjust to being a dad of three and feeling excitement to be back in the building. I grew up as a certified church hopper, an eternal visitor, a guest with uh, no promise of return. And so when I came to BCWC 10 years ago, I learned what it was like to have a church family. And to have my kids grow up in a community like this is one of the great blessings of my life, knowing that they're cared for from day one. So thank you. Uh, Thanks to Pastor Evan as well, to our staff, our congregational leaders, for your graciousness in uh, covering my responsibilities over the past few weeks, as well as your own. So with that said, I'm playing catch-up today. I've missed some of our uh, Galatians sermon series, all of it, except for today, the end. Um, So thankfully, Paul, my helpful ancient letter-writing friend, he helped me out by closing this chapter with some summary of what had been said in the previous chapters. So that's nice for me. In these last few verses, he speaks to his friends in the church of Galatia, offering encouragement, offering pastoral guidance. And in case you've been away or you're visiting today, um, I'll catch you up too. Here's the, the big idea of this letter and this series. It's good news to the Galatian church and to us that them and us are already part of the family of God. Despite the decisions or conflicts or messy relational dynamics that we undergo and that remain a part of our life together, we're already part of that family. Scripture reminds us that God loved you from the beginning, before you could ever even know what that meant. That God loves you no matter what you do or what you don't do, what you've done or what you've left undone. As Paul famously wrote in the letter to the Galatians, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But that doesn't mean that they or we should think that we are gatekeepers to this love and to God's grace. We're part of an ever-widening circle of believers, which includes people that we deem to be like ourselves and people whom we've othered for all kinds of reasons. To drive that last point home, Pastor Evan over the the course of this series has been referring again and again to one of our favorite quotes from the late Christian author Rachel Held Evans. This is a post-it note on your refrigerator kind of quote. That's why we keep bringing it up, but I didn't wanna be left out, so I'll say it too. This is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of oddballs and outcasts gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry Because they said yes, and because there's always room for more. This is all to say that we need God and we need each other. Being human is a strange and terrible and beautiful thing, and that's why we were always meant to be human together. The trouble is, it's not always easy being human together. Pastor Evan had previously explained that the Church of Galatia was struggling to be human together. They had this tension between those who were culturally Jewish and now Christian and those who were altogether new Gentile Christians outside of the Jewish community. The question arose, how could these two groups navigate the implications of their shared faith despite the very different life experiences they had and the different sources of their identities? This was a hard enough question without considering an exemption that existed under the law for the Jewish community that allowed them to pray for Caesar instead of to him. New Christians did not want to pray to Caesar anymore, but this change could risk any amount of protection that was currently afforded to the Jewish community. Understandably, and perhaps inevitably, internal conflict arose. And so Paul writes this letter aiming to address this conflict and to offer some encouragement. So Paul begins at the end of the letter with chapter 6 with verse 1. You can follow along in your Bible or up here on the screen. Paul wrote, My brothers and sisters, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. I'd like to translate or paraphrase at least this uh, verse, um, just this one from the message translation from theologian Eugene Peterson, who paraphrased this verse this way Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore them, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. So right here in this first verse, Paul is addressing at least two challenges. Number one, the family of God, or people who fall into sin, we transgress, we make mistakes, we slip up, we step in it. Any other way you want to decide that sometimes we decide to skip that fruit bowl of the Spirit and take a bite out of anything else. Second, when people in the family of God go to help those who have messed up, sometimes instead of picking up that gentleness from the fruit bowl and serving it straight, we decide to add a heavy-handed portion of delicious vengeance or syrupy judgments or critical side dishes, side eyes, side comments, which is not the kind of creativity we are looking for. Paul, here in chapter 6, is advising to serve the fruit of the Spirit with no additives, lest you're ready for some humble pie to arrive at your doorstep. I'll move on from the food puns in a minute. I just missed the fruit of the spirit one last week, and I just have a lot of material. Um, So I had some leftovers. That was the last one. That was the last one, I promise. The point Paul is making here, at least in my reading, is that we are to live responsibly and responsively. We are responsible for our own decisions, our own actions, and for what we do with the gift of grace that God offers us. And with this gift of grace, we are called to be responsive to the needs of others. At BCWC, we call this responsive service. It's one of our our core values. And Paul explained we can live out that value, being responsive to the needs of others, responsively serving them by what he says in verse 2, by bearing one another's burdens. In this way, Paul writes, we will fulfill the law of Christ. The fulfillment of the law is coming back to us from earlier chapters in the letter to the Galatians when Paul remarked that Christ's law can be observed when we're led by the Spirit instead of by the worst of our human condition, which he nicknames the flesh. When we share in one another's burdens, we're modeling our lives after Christ, loving one another as Christ loves the church. In preparation for the sermon today i was reading the work of a pastoral theologian catherine green mccrate and she was writing about uh, saint augustine as often known augustine of hippo and augustine likened this idea of bearing one another's burdens to the friendship of deer did you know that deer were friends with each other other deer that's the kind of bonus info that you're getting today Augustine of Hippo wrote in his Reflections about bearing one another's burdens, that these deer, stags, when they cross a ford to get to an island for a pasture, organize themselves so that they support one another's heavy antlers, with one behind stretching out its neck and resting its head on the one in front. Since one of them has to go in front of the others, they take turns. When one at the front gets tired from the weights of their own head, They go to the back, and the one whose head was supporting the others takes over. In this way, they carry each other's burdens. They cross the ford until they reach solid ground. I don't know about you, but there are times when I need others to help me not get bogged down by whatever's happening in my own head. And that's what friendship is for. That's what spiritual friendship is for. That's what the church is for. We cross the river together because doing so alone is dangerous. We go down to the river to pray as that hymn goes, but we gather at the river too. None of us can have it all together when we're alone. Paul further explains, starting in verse 3, For if those who are nothing think that they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work then rather than their neighbors work will become a a cause for pride. If we can avoid here the pitfalls of comparison, comparing ourselves to one another, we also have the chance of forgoing one of our most difficult human challenges which is self-deception. We can deceive ourselves into thinking all kinds of things. Things we know at one point weren't true. Humans are surprisingly good at self-deception. Moral psychologists have shown that it doesn't take much for us to violate our own moral codes through all kinds of mental gymnastics. We deceive ourselves, for example, into thinking that we're more important than we are. That's what Paul's talking about here. We also deceive ourselves into thinking that we're less than we are, less than God's beloved. We can be wise when we remember that we're running our own race. So we're keeping in our own lane. And the only time that we're looking over to the other lane is to make sure that the other person has enough water to keep going in theirs. Here in these verses, there's a paradox, a seeming contradiction of statements between the idea that we bear one another's burdens while at the same time we're supposed to focus on our own work. Pastor Evan wisely reminded me in our preparations this week that this is a very distinctively Baptist tension. We believe as Baptists that the individual stands before God, the individual has the right to interpret Scripture for themselves, that they're responsible for their own actions and and, uh, their their reactions to others' actions. At the same time, as Baptists, we believe that it's important to ask for help (laughs) when we need it. And to offer help when it's needed. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that we shouldn't ever need help. Or that we have no responsibility to those around us. I have enough on my plate. And though we might deceive ourselves into thinking these things, the scripture goes on to say that we cannot deceive God. So we'll pick up with uh, verse 7 next. Verse 7, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. As a reminder here, Paul's referring to the idea of, of flesh not equating it to the body rather flesh is indicating the human condition of of greed and fear and selfishness paul wrote if you invest in greed if you live your life out of fear you will reap nothing but corruption that's all that's there there's nothing more to gain it's like peering out a window and you open it up and all you see is a brick wall sure the window is open but there's nothing there there's nowhere to go nowhere but obstacles But alternatively, Paul is casting this other vision that we can have if we live in the Spirit, if we open the window and allow the winds of love and joy and peace and forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, that's a very different view. That's a view that goes on forever. A skyscape that stretches beyond and beyond and beyond, seeming to never end. The things that matter, the things that are true, the things that are eternal. Eternal life from the Spirit sounds pretty good to me. But Paul reminds us that there's work to be done in the meantime. So maybe it's best not to jump there just yet. We can keep that window open with one eye on the horizon and the other eye fixed on the work that needs done in the house and beyond, in our neighborhoods. That might be why Paul continues in verse 9, Let us not grow weary in doing what is right we all have to wash the dishes right for we reap at harvest time about whether or I'm sorry we reap at harvest time if we do not give up so then whatever we have an opportunity let us work for the good of all and especially for those in the community in the family of faith our new identities as Christ followers mean that we can be patient not worrying about whether or not we fit in the religious or cultural boxes of the day. God is bigger than any of the boxes we can try to put God in. Paul says this to the Galatians. Scripture teaches us that now. Paul said to the church of Galatia, There is no, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. In our context, if Paul was writing today, maybe he'd say something like, there is neither Republican nor Democrat, Boomer nor Millennial, American nor Migrant. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We keep trying to divide, but Christ keeps bringing us back to the center. What we can do, Paul writes, every time that we get the chance, is to work for the good of all perhaps starting with the people closest to us. There's a lot of problems in the world. We can't do everything, but we can do something. So maybe we start where we are in the community of faith and those where God has placed an influence for us, knowing that our old divides mean nothing now. And as Paul concludes later in this chapter, new creation is everything. But again, becoming new still has its challenges. You can think of a newly married couple, the honeymoon has ended, and now it's everyday life and there are bills to pay. Or a blended family in which new love emerges from broken hearts, but every now and then the shards of those broken things escape the dustpan. It's one thing to say that God has done a new thing, and it's another to live with that new thing when you keep catching glimpses of the damage that's been done flashbacks or memories of the tears that had been cried or the mistakes that had been made as baptist teacher beth moore wrote in her memoir there's no starting over from scratch there's only starting over scratched okay here's the so what i'm looking at my friend pastor jim you know what it's like each of you i do i think we all do know what it's like to be scratched or scarred or wounded by circumstances or people, perhaps even people within a faith community. You know what it's like to make mistakes and to feel the pain of someone else's mistakes. You know what it's like to get a shiny new beginning, only to be distracted by those smudges in the corner. Those mercies that come new every day, the new creation that we are and that we are promised. We experience that authentically, truly, through the kingdom of God that's breaking in right now, that is both here and not yet. Sometimes that not yet wears on us. Even so, what Paul promises, what scripture promises, is that God's grace is sufficient for this moment, these challenges, and all the ones to come. Paul wrote, and I say to you, don't give up. There will be harvest in its own time. Instead, what we can do now is fix our eyes upon Jesus, focusing on the good of all, traveling away, maybe to the away games, and then coming back here for the home games, for the practices, growing and stumbling right here at home with one another, making sure that there's always room for more. There's a lot to do while we're here in that in-between. And this work will add joy and meaning to our lives. And the good thing is we don't have to do it alone. I mentioned Beth Moore's memoir. I was listening to that during my time away. I was trying to read it, but it was distractions. So I would listen to it. I remembered, I started reading it because my sister, as a young Christian educator, young Sunday school teacher, Uh, was really moved by a lot of her writing, by her curriculum, and really uh, it was at the right time too because Beth Moore was quite popular. If you're unfamiliar with Beth Moore, I should tell you that she was a prominent evangelical teacher known for her ability to connect with those especially who've endured abuse and who are seeking to integrate faith into their healing journeys, their process of letting go of shame. She was a Southern Baptist Bible teacher, which is, if you're unfamiliar, distinct from us as American Baptists due to some theological differences. Not the least of these, which was the ordination of women. We as American Baptists have historically ordained women to all levels of leadership, pastors, preachers, otherwise. Southern Baptists have not. Despite her loyalty to her denomination and the constraints it placed on her leadership, she served faithfully for decades to much success. Her notoriety, however, brought fair criticism and unfair criticism. Moore eventually left the Southern Baptist Convention after several tumultuous years in which she was accused of trying to usurp male leadership, which ironically, she was not. (laughs) She took painstaking steps to avoid doing such things often having what was called a male covering. You always thank the uh, male preacher to ensure that, you know, you're there as a teacher and not a preacher. Even as her husband dealt privately with bipolar disorder and array of other physical and mental health conditions, she played a part that she was expected to play within her denomination, where her voice was less valued than her male counterparts. She was also criticized by people within her community when she spoke out against uh, or spoke out on behalf of for sexual assault survivors or victims she spoke out against prominent political figures and leaders within her own denomination and that was not met with much grace or approval so all of this tumult years and years of it was too much after decades of potluck she had grown up in this denomination she had given her life to christ Through the people associated with it, she had made her living there. She taught hundreds of Sunday school classes and all was being taken away. She felt pushed out and so eventually she left. And then the pandemic came. But once the pandemic ceased its grip on communal life, Moore decided to set out and find a new congregation to worship within and she had some challenges. She was a notable person, but also a bit of a polarizing figure So it proved to be a difficult task. Of course, she had unique struggles. She was well known. She was uh, polarizing or became polarizing because of what people had said about her. But I imagine many people in this room or watching online or people within our circles have no like to take on this difficult task of searching for a spiritual home to feel spiritually lost at sea, to be flapping and just trying to find a place to come ashore, hoping they won't throw you back into the ocean. There are those who have felt hurt, feel hurt, abandoned, kicked out, unwanted, disoriented, and otherwise unsure if they could ever find a congregation that would welcome them so that they might experience true sanctuary if they ever had. For Beth Moore, something pretty incredible happened. She took a risk and she and her husband went to an Anglican church in Houston. I didn't think there were Anglican churches in Houston, but there are Anglican churches in Houston. She took a chance, she went there, and way out of her experience, it was way out of her comfort zone, and at first it felt weird, which is a good reminder that church can be weird sometimes, especially when you're new. For many, it can require summoning all of your courage just to walk through the doors of a church. Moore didn't know when to stand or sit or kneel or pray or read. And there were people in robes. It was way outside of her tradition. The whole way to church, and for most of the service, she felt like she had no idea what was going on. She had led services for years in large congregations in arenas at one point. But now she was the one in need of some radical hospitality. The whole experience was beautiful but clunky she was both uncomfortable and glad to be there so as she was leaving she had given it a try her husband was very moved they talk about that more later you can read the book but she gathered her bible her purse and bulletin and she stood up and turned to leave the pew and then several people were waiting there for her in just seconds there were even more of them she replayed the scene often in her mind after that and her husband would would too was something she could describe as felt more than seen. So there were about five people around her and the closest ones um, began to set their hands on her forearms. She said it couldn't have been planned, no one knew they were coming and most of them didn't know who she was, ironically. Once they learned her name, they said, one of them said, Beth, in a voice she described as with palpable tenderness. We don't know what brought you and your husband here today, but we want you to know. And then everybody else started nodding along like they knew what was about to be said. We're so glad that you came. You are welcome here, Beth. And then later she wrote, so I picked out this next line. She wrote that God smote the rock and water gushed from my eyes like waterfalls. I couldn't think of a time I'd ever cried with less restraint in a public place I couldn't stop. This made me wonder, do you know what it's like to have your world shaken? The thing you thought would always be there isn't there anymore. Do you know what it's like to wonder if you belong? Do you know what it's like to play the part and wonder if it's enough? Do you know what it's like to wonder if you are truly loved and accepted as you are? I'd like to tell you the truest thing I can think of to say from the bottom of my heart with everything that I believe in, something that my family here at the Baptist Church of Westchester, many in this room and many with God, have told me in different ways. Because of Christ Jesus, you belong. You matter. You're enough. You are loved and accepted. And you are welcome here Maybe it's your turn to receive the grace of God through God's people and find a spiritual home. Or maybe it's your turn to extend God's grace to others, welcoming them into the family. Either way, as Paul wrote, don't give up. Work for the good of all within and beyond this family of faith. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.